Mark, we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. 4 and oh. I think Daniel Hyshaw is still running from that one long rushing touchdown. Or it wasn't even a run. It was a did passing you see play. The, did you see the Spanish, the Spanish version yeah. of, that, uh, of that call? Yeah. That was... That was Exciting! Oh, I thought I thought you were going to be more excited. No, I don't know. It was good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I I, I don't know. Um, okay, okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Did you love it? I, I enjoyed it. You enjoyed yeah. it. I still haven't yeah, heard Brian's it. call on it though. Is my only thing. Like I want to hear Brian's call. Basically, yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's true. But Kansas four zero. We're going to talk all about it today. Uh, the wait is over, though, Kansas. DraftKings Sportsbook is here, and the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. I hope you had uh, seven and a half, not eight and a half, for the KU game. Uh, the line opened... At eight and a half, nine, nine and a half points, somewhere I in there. I actually never saw it that high. It depends where you got it. Now, okay. on DraftKings, I, I think it opened at eight and a half, nine points, which is where okay. you should be doing all your betting. Um, And so, if you got it at the beginning of the week, you're probably a little bit sad with how the uh, score ended up there. But if you got it later in the week at seven and a half, you're thrilled with how the game ended there. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code KLWN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700, 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. One boost per eligible game. 10-plus leg required for 100% boost. Opt-in required. Parlay and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. KU takes down Duke 35-27. KU had to uh, deal with a couple injuries throughout the game. You had Devin Neal go down at one point. I don't know how much of it was you know, injury related or a combination of injury and not establishing a big role, but we didn't really see Kai Thomas. You had Romello Dotson and Kobe Bryant, both at different points in the game, kind of go down with an injury and come back. They had to deal with a lot more injuries. And and I think you kind of started to see the advantage of KU's depth and what they brought in with all these players start to become important in that game. But the biggest thing that happened in the game was, I guess, to me, the fact that it could have been even more. Like, yes. remember that, uh, I think it was like a Coke commercial or something? They had it on for running for like a year or something. I don't know. It might have been something else. Okay. And uh, the guy, like, would go in the commercial and he'd, you know, go to a restaurant. And he'd, they'd give him, like, a steak or whatever. And he'd be like, and? 
and then they bring out something else, and he'd go somewhere else, and you'd be like, all right, here's what you get, and he'd go, and? And, like, he'd just say and to everything, and they'd constantly bring him more stuff. Um, that's that's kind of how I felt like with the KU game on Saturday in that it was like, it was like and? Because they put up 35 points, but it felt like it could have been more. It was like, oh, you won by eight, and, well, it felt like they could have won by more. Okay, you're 4-0 now, and, okay, maybe you're a bowl contender now. You know, you're tied for first in the Big 12 right now, and, well, all these other Big 12 teams are losing, and maybe you can be a Big 12 contender or something like that. Like, it felt like there was there was all these, like, additives to everything that we saw in the game. But uh, going to the offense part of it, Kansas, like I said, scored 35. Could have been a lot more. You consider the fourth and goal stop at the beginning of the game where, honestly, it looked like from the TV broadcast that Devin Neal crossed the pylon just in terms of his body, but the ball was uh, the ball didn't cross the, the pylon. It was the right call. I'm not saying it was the wrong call. Um, because Duke was kind of swiping at the ball, and it forced him to like kind of keep it tucked in. Otherwise, he might have been able to extend over, and that would have been a touchdown. You have the Devin Neal fumble as you were driving again to probably score some more points. You had the... I mean, things kind of finished conservatively for you offensively. Like, you had the ball around midfield. You just kind of ran it three straight times into the meat of the defense, and it resulted in you punting away. You had... um some things defensively that like I don't know the the Lonnie Phelps play where you ended up getting a stop on that drive but the uh the Lonnie Phelps play where it's like third and 20 something and the QB slides and then he kind of jumps over him gets called for the unnecessary roughness there that they end up having to go a little bit further on the drive before punting away and Kansas has worse field position. Like maybe KU is able to get a quicker score there. Something like that. Like, like there are reasons to believe Kansas could have put up even more than 35 points. Never in that game did it feel like Duke was going to stop the Kansas offense. So like it, it's weird because Kansas wins by eight. You're happy. It's 4-0. At the same point in time, it felt like it could have been even more from Kansas. There's no question that KU was by far the better team against Duke in all facets. Better team, better coaching, better execution really across the board. And you're absolutely right. This 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 could have easily been a 20-point win for Kansas, which is something rare to say. And, and even going further back, in the first four games of the season, KU has been the better team in every game. They've executed better, they've been the better team, and they've had better coaching. That's been a fact in the first four games of the season, which is not something you can say very often about KU. So from that standpoint, it's it's very thrilling. And, yeah, the offense pretty much only stopped themselves besides the fourth down stop by Duke. So, uh, again, we've now, we're now we're four games in the season. We're 33, 33% of the way through the season. And the KU offense has hardly been stopped by anybody, right, which is incredible. So, and that's, that's huge from a lot of different standpoints. Number one, it means you're going to be in a lot of games. Like, how many games for KU have we seen it just gets away from them? The game just gets away, and, it, and it's over by, you know, the second quarter or early third quarter. That's not going to happen with this KU team in any game they play. Even against, even when they have to play the tougher opponents of Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State, that's just not going to happen, I don't think, because of the potency of this offense. And that was on full display against Duke. And, and again, Jalen Daniels was just phenomenal. He has the highest quarterback rating through four games, I think, since, like, it's higher than C.J. Stroud and it's higher than Bryce Young, or it's comparable. I think he's close to those guys. So it's just incredible what he's doing. He had his best pass of the season, I think, on the touchdown to Luke Grimm. That was just an incredible throw and an even better catch also by Luke Graham. So that that's that's really great. And the only thing about Jalen Daniels was he was definitely playing hurt. He was definitely playing hurt. Early, or maybe like midway through the second quarter, 
he got tackled on a quarterback run and got up kind of slow. And really from that point on, they KU did not let Jalen Daniels run the ball. They didn't call any read options. They didn't call any design quarterback run plays. In fact, later in the second quarter, they actually brought in Jason Bean to run an option play for a quarterback run. So it's clear that he was dealing with some discomfort in his legs or something. Now, later on in the fourth quarter, he did end up running because he ended up rushing for a touchdown in the fourth quarter. So I don't think it's anything you need to even be remotely be alarmed about, but it was something to keep an eye on, at least from, from that standpoint. So, yeah, just, just just an incredible game from the offense. And, again, could have easily been a 20-point win. So it's really exciting for KU, and, it, and it's 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 great to, to see that and also to see how much the fans – enjoyed it and waving the weed and all that so just a really exciting game and a great win and, and hopefully you can carry that into homecoming against Iowa State yeah and in a world of where everyone wants to be him you know you hear all these athletes in basketball they make a big and one or three-point play or in football <laughs> you have a big touchdown pass or interception or something you're like I'm him Jalen Daniels in a world of hymns is him because that dude is I mean, every week you just like are like, okay, is is it going to come back down to earth a little bit? Like he could still be a good quarterback, but not put up this production. And every week it like gets it does the opposite. It just gets better. He had over yeah. 400 yards total of offense in the game. He had five total touchdowns, four passing, one on the ground. That's more than he had incompletions. He is now continually popping up among people talking about you know Heisman lists, and it's. It's remarkable to see, and as much as you try to ground yourself in the idea that, yeah, Kansas is 4-0, and and there's still a long way to go, and we haven't seen this team even win this many games since 2009, and like if they make a bowl game, that's a success. If you have a quarterback that is this good, if you have a quarterback that is playing like a Heisman contender, you're going to win more than six games. And I think that's good to note here, and... Like, at no point could Duke stop him in that game. He was nope. just doing whatever he wanted. Yep. There were even times when, like, the so the the touchdown throw to Luke Grimm, um, where Best it was unbelievable throw. I mean, he pinpoint accurate, and you put it in a place where only the receiver could catch it. Luke Grimm makes a great catch on the play. But, yep. like, if you go back and watch that play, there's a I, – I, I forget got a guy right it was. Face. Yeah, he's got a guy right Well, that too, but also there's a receiver for KU – running a little crossing route, maybe like three, five yards past the line of scrimmage. And he's like wide open. That if Jalen wants, he can just dump it off to him. Now, it might only be like a five or seven yard gain or something like that. But if he wants, but he he had the moxie, he had the poise, he had the accuracy to say, I can get more on this play. Let me fit it in there. And he did. And I mean, some of the throws that he makes in that game are just unbelievable. This guy continues to impress each and every week. If this continues on, I mean, we could have the conversation right now if you want. I wouldn't quite make that call just yet because of the fact that the sample size isn't quite there. But, like, as right now, if the sample size continues, we're going to be having a conversation about if Jalen Daniels this season is having the greatest Kansas quarterback season of all time. I mean, he's on pace, definitely. Statistically, for sure. The only thing that would make you stop is saying, well, Todd Reesing went to an Orange Bowl, or saying, well, David Jaynes finished fourth in the Heisman. Is Jalen Daniels going to finish fourth in the Heisman? I mean, right now, he might. I don't don't know. So it's just unbelievable the job that this offense has done. Andy Kotelnicki continues to just be an assassin as a play caller. Um, The running game continues to work for KU. 
that's the other thing here too. Like you look at this Duke defense coming in and you see Mike Elko, which which honestly, like I was I was impressed with Mike Elko as a head coach. He was really aggressive on fourth downs. Like sometimes you get these these coaches who are former defensive coordinators and they play super conservatively offensively. They never go for it on fourth downs. They always, he was the opposite of that. Like he was aggressive going for it on fourth yeah. downs. Um, I thought they were a pretty well disciplined. Well, like I think I think he knew, I think he knew that they weren't yeah. able to slow down KU. But again, so you have this defensive coach, and you would just think that, hey, we've now seen it on tape two straight weeks of KU running all over the opposition, KU running for over 200 yards both games. Jalen Daniels, the last game, running for 100 yards. I thought coming into this game, okay, well, they're going to certainly make it harder on Jalen to run the football. He led the team with 83 rushing yards. Okay, well, they're going to take away KU's running game, and they're going to make KU pass. Well, they had 200 rushing yards. Oh, and if they would have just made KU pass all game, Jalen Daniels had 324 <laughs> yards. He did that on 23 throws. Yeah, it was a offensive masterpiece. That honestly, like that, you could tell me that was KU's best offensive game, just in terms of the like what they did moving the ball. I mean, obviously Houston, you put up more points. West Virginia put up more points, but those games you both had interceptions. Like in the case of West Virginia, the pick six. The Houston game, you had the interception that gave you really good field position. The West Virginia game, you also had the muffed punt. If you take out KU's own mistakes of their own fumble and being stopped at the the one, that would have been KU's best offensive game, and you did it against a Duke team that came in at 3-0. Now, if you're looking to the other end of the ball, the defense continues to allow other teams to move up and down the field and not be great, but if I were to say through four games of the season, KU was going to be giving up 27 points per game, you would have taken that because that's a 15-point improvement from last year. So it's not <laughs> yeah. a perfect defense. Like, if, if we're comparing it to the offense, obviously the offense has been elite so far. The defense has not been great. It's just been a lot better. But they're coming up with key plays. I, Kobe Bryant continues to make big plays, and they're doing enough. With yeah. this offense the way it is, if they keep playing like this on that side of the ball, Again, you would like the defense to maybe have a game or two where they do help you win the game in terms of just over the totality of it as opposed to just making the key play on the last drive. But they're at least doing enough with what you have on offense. Yeah, and I think Kobe Bryant's great because I feel like in the secondary, you need at least one guy who's just not afraid to just go try to make a play. Yeah. Who's just not afraid to just just get after it, right? And he's he's kind of become that guy, and he's really thrived. And Marvin Grant had a fantastic game as well for KU. And, and, and again, I think with the, some of the personnel for KU, we've heard about it already in the preseason. It's just they talked about it's going to come down to what the opposing team is doing. And KU has adapted to that very well. And they continue to rotate a number of different guys. Eddie Wilson made a huge play on fourth yeah. down as well for KU defensively. So, yeah, there, there are some concerns about the defense. But overall, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think you can be too upset. And also, there were some, some questionable penalties that went against yes. the defense as well. Uh, the Lonnie Phelps roughing one was a fair call. You can't yeah. you can't do that. You can't die. No, that was, that was just that. dumb. KU the the Melo Dotson fourth down pi was that was a bad call. Questionable. I think best. that was a bad call. Yes, bad. There call. was another pi too that the TV broadcast was like that's clearly pi, and I was watching. I was like, where? Why? <laughs> it was on like a deep ball to Duke. I didn't think that one was either. And I mean, then obviously the the Gavin Potter the Gavin yeah. Potter late hit one was again questionable. I mean, it's the quarterback, so that's probably a flag in today's game, even though it still maybe is No, but you know how often we've seen, and like, perfect example, Patrick Mahomes in that, like, AFC championship no, he got his face Titans. mask 
grabbed all over. Oh, it, no, oh, no, no, about, no, no, okay, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, that was and, bad. The Colts game. Yeah, yeah. no, but no, we're going saying, somewhere else with it. You know, you know how often we've seen like a quarterback <laughs> or any player at all um, start to like act like they're running out of bounds, and then they keep tiptoeing up the line, uh, up the the sideline to try to stay in. Like that was the the place of where the Duke player was. So yeah, that wasn't great. Lonnie Phelps continues to get held like five times a game. They did call one of them, but it feels like that could be more. I, I don't like to rag on the refs too much, and, and Kate yeah, won the game, yeah. so who cares? But yeah. it is something where I, mean, I think it, kept, it does it kept, add to the conversation of KU could have easily won this game by more. Yeah, I mean, it kept two Duke drives alive, Yeah, at least. Yeah, so that would have certainly helped there as well, but I, I think in the end, like the but, win... I mean, from a defensive standpoint, in terms of a complete game, this was probably their best performance of the season. In terms yeah. of total game, right? I think that's. I mean, obviously against Houston, they were pretty good in the second half. Against West Virginia, they were pretty good in the second half. But in terms of like four quarters of complete game, probably their best game. Yeah, and I don't think we necessarily knew how good the Duke offense would be. I, I think Riley Leonard's good. Their quarterback, he, he was much better than I thought he was going to be. And I'll they had that. better weapons on the outside than I would have thought. Like they made some big plays on on some contested catches and whatnot. So, but again, KU did a pretty good job against the run. Also, yeah, they did. Uh, the two running most of the the big run plays for Duke were were from the quarterback just scrambling around. Like the two big running backs had under four yards per carry, and, and so now this is the win that makes you feel like. If you don't make a bowl game, it's it's almost a disappointment at this point in time, like with the changing expectations yeah. over the course of the just, season. Just two of the next eight, man. Just I know. two of the next eight. It doesn't sound like that much. And you've um, got Iowa State and TCU at home coming yeah. up. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's like losing that game would have felt like the coming back down to earth moment, the something bad is yes. finally going to come back down. And instead, you won the game. It's further proof, I think, for this program that this team – that Lance Leipold, the Jalen Daniels, that these players overall, that the staff, this is just different than years past, and we continue to kind of evaluate it differently as the season goes on. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. When we get back, Lance Leipold spoke with the media after the game. We'll share that with you on the other side. David Lesky will join us in about 20 minutes. Brandon Schneider in the 4 o'clock hour. This is RCST. Joined now by David Lesky of Inside the Crown. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Eric Johnson along with Nick Springer here. John Sherman ended up firing Dayton Moore and spoke with the media as well, which he had, I think, some pretty powerful words that that he gave. Um, I, I think one of the most, I don't know, powerful things that he did, though, was just the action itself of letting Dayton Moore go and, and what that means for him, I I guess, being aggressive and, and wanting to create this winning club, you would think, kind of sooner than later here, as opposed to just being one of those owners who maybe they're just about the business and they don't really care as much about the team on the field. So, uh, David, do you have kind of a, a renewed hope for this Royals team in terms of the, the progress that could be made from this year to next year and, and things from an ownership level of feeling like, of course, they're not going to be, you know, the Dodgers or the Yankees, but there could be this renewed level of maybe some free agency spending and just activity from the front office that maybe we haven't seen. Uh, yeah, I do. I, I think, um, I think we all had an idea that something was going to happen. I, I don't, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd heard for, weeks, months, whatever, I don't know, um, that, that things weren't great with Dayton Moore <laughs> in that front office, and which is why I, I, I've said throughout the, a good chunk of the year, I, I don't know that he'll be back next season. 
didn't expect the firing. Um, I'm sorry, the dismissal. Let me, I mean, let me use the words that were used. He was dismissed. Um, although I don't know, I was dismissed from class in, in school growing up, and I was never fired from class. So hard to say. But um, I, I, I think we had a pretty good idea that something was going to happen. And until it happened, it was one of those things that, uh, we'll see, you know, we'll see. And then it happened. And like you said, it's not just that he did it, um, although that was obviously the strongest thing that came from John Sherman. Um, it, it's what he said. It's how he went about the process of it. It, 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 it it's every bit of it, honestly. Um, I, I thought there were some pretty obvious remarks directed at what Dayton had done um, or not done. I thought it was very clear that, hey, this is this organization is not going to be the same. This is going to be a different run group of people. And it's going to look a lot more like some of the teams that are very successful but are maybe less recognizable. And, and I think that that was if, – if, if nothing else, I think it might have been a little bit of a, hey, just an FYI, maybe don't buy that jersey. You know, <laughs> it was one of those situations. And I think that, um, you know, ultimately in Kansas City, yes, we get attached to the players and, and, and all that. But I think ultimately what we want is a winner. And I think the fans, if the Royals won 100 games a year but had 20, 26 different players every single year, it would take – a month or two into the season, but people would care because they had, they had a winner. So I think that was the message that was sent. And so, yeah, I think there is a renewed optimism that things could be different, things could change. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's what we see, I mean, not, I mean, it'll be before 2023, but what we see heading into training, I think, will just be a very different-looking organization. And when the organization has gone through so much, I mean, for lack of their term, failure, I, I think that has to be a, a, a point of optimism. Well, what do you think, I guess, in, in 10 to 20 years from now, when we look back on, on the Dayton Moore regime, what do you think the legacy, what do you think is going to be first thought of there? Well, I, I think as, as more time passes, obviously, you tend to forget the bad and remember the good. Um, you know, I, I think where Alex Gordon's career, you know, people don't remember that he going to be sent down to the Niners in 2010. People remember that he was a great player for really five seasons and then and then they chose to stay in Kansas City. So as time passes, I think the legacy is going to be the Royals hadn't been to the playoffs in 29 years, and they made the playoffs and then the World Series. And then when they lost the World Series, they made it back the next year and they won the whole thing. And I think... I think that is the the number one lasting legacy in general. There are going to be some people who are going to say three winning seasons, and that's fair too. Um, but I think ultimately it's, it's going to be about the win, and and that's okay. I mean, I it, it, look, it's not Dayton Morris that, that, that nobody told him he to change. Or I get maybe they did tell him to change. That's why he lost his job. But it's not his fault that I don't want to say the game passed him by, but he chose not to keep up with the game. Maybe is a better way to put that. Uh, I guess that is his fault, but it's not his fault that he was he was in continued employment. That was, that was somebody else's choice. So, I, I think ultimately he'll be remembered for the for the World Series win. Um, it's going to take a few years, yeah. But but I think I think if you if the twenty thirty five 
Royals has a 20-year reunion, and Dayton Moore is there. And it, that, that's all that's going to be remembered from him. Is this the final week and a half for Mike Matheny and Cal Eldred? I would say, let me put a percentage on it, 99.95% yes. Um, I just don't see how they keep their jobs. I, you know, I, I think two things. One, I, I again, similar to what I'd heard about Dayton Moore, I've heard the same things, and they've been louder recently about Matheny, and, and Elder is kind of attached to him, I would assume. Um it's kind of been a foregone conclusion in my mind that Elder's going to be going because of the pitching issues. Um, but J.J. You Piccolo know, spoke on, was that Saturday, I think it was, um, and he was asked point blank, what, what, what have you done? What, what's the deal with Matheny, basically? And J.J. Piccolo was very diplomatic. We haven't made a decision yet. But he knows. <laughs> I mean, you're not, you're not going to be, you're not going to take over as, the head of baseball operations after being the general manager for a year and being an assistant general manager before that and not have an idea what you want with your manager. Um, it would have been very, very easy for JJ to come out and say, look, Mike's my manager. He's the guy. He didn't say that. And I, it, it, I suppose there's a very, very off chance. And that's why it's the 0.05%. But, I, I think they're both. I think I think most of the coaching staff will be gone in uh, what is it, a week and a half now, or it's nine days, ten days, whatever it is. But I guess the season ends in nine days, so ten days from now, I think I think there's a good chance they're all gone. Well, amidst the NFL action yesterday, including the Chiefs kind of letting one slip away, the Royals had a wild comeback, and they were down eleven to two in the sixth inning, and ended up coming back, taking the lead, earning the victory. Do you read anything extra into a big inning like that against a really good starter in Luis Castillo about the young hitters and this offense's potential? Um, I mean, yes and no. It's one inning, obviously, but also it's an 11-run inning. <laughs> and it started off against, like you said, Luis Castillo, who just signed a big deal the day before. Um, I, I, I think, look, I think the reality is we know that there's a lot of talent on this offense. Um, it hasn't always been great this season, but it, when, you're, when you're talking about a lineup that features anywhere from five to seven rookies every single night, there's probably going to be some ebbs and flows. And I don't know. I, what that showed me was kind of what you expect from young players, really. It's, it's hey, we, we don't quit because we're too, we're too naive to quit. And, and, and I think that um, – you know, it was just a bunch of really good plate appearances. It was um, just just an, an ability to just keep the line moving, for lack of a better term, I think, because, you know, that's, that's what they did. They, they, they walked five times in the inning, which I think is a very different feature of this offense that we're seeing now, and I think we'll see moving forward with some of these young players. Um, although Salvador Perez even walked, so maybe it was just – meant to be, but I, I, I think it shows that they are just relentless and, um, you know, that, that you get that with youth. I think you get that with a young lineup like the Royals have. And it was, it was, it was really fun to watch. It was surprising. It was shocking. And look, they, they hadn't come back from a three run deficit until Tuesday <laughs> and they were, and then all of a sudden they come back from a nine run deficit. I mean, it, it was, it was just insane. It was, it was fun to watch. It was a it was a perfect palate cleanser for the ugly Chiefs game. Um, just kind of a 
a nice little nice little exclamation point on the home schedule. And it was it was it was interesting. And yeah, I think there is you know as much as you can glean from one inning. I think there is something to take from it. Well, Brady Singer pitched well again on Friday. I know you wrote about this, but how much hope does that provide for not just him but the other young pitchers as well? Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things. You look at what Brady Singer did last season, and um, he was bad. He had a four nine one ERA, I think it was. Um, a lot of the ERA indicators said that he should have been better than that, but outside of building independent pitching, which I have my – differences with um i i think they were generally like just kind of okay um it shows that you can make that move in one season it shows that you can go from hey i'm not sure if you're going to be a starter in this league to hey you're not only a starter in this league you're one of the better starters in this league it can happen fast with young pitchers and so you you look at somebody like daniel lynch you look at Jonathan Heasley, and Chris Bubich, who I think people are really down on, even though he spent two seasons as a league average starter, um, interestingly enough, and people, I think, kind of maybe forget about that. Um, and, and, I, and I think that you can say, hey, maybe, just maybe, <laughs> he, he can be that guy who, one of those can be that guy who turns things around, and then it, and it's just a, that that fast of a change. So I think there is some hope. Um, I mean, the bigger hope for me is that they're going to get better instruction in there. It, it's just going to be a, a better pitching coach, um, better instruction at spring training, better off-season work, all that stuff I think is, is a big help. Um, but, I mean, some of it is sometimes talent just takes a little time, especially for pitchers. And so Brady Singer shows a little patience, not to you know give them too much credit here, but a little patience can go a long way with young starters. Carlos Hernandez has had some impressive outings in the bullpen, but still overall, even if you just look at the splits, he has a over five ERA as just a reliever this year. But have you seen enough lately, including over the weekend, to make you think like he could be a pillar of that bullpen next season? The stuff is there, um, no doubt. I mean, you've got the 98-mile-per-hour fastball plus, um, what, five pitches? So if he can, if he can learn to figure it out in the bullpen, how, um, what he has that, that could be, that could be useful for him. Um, it's hard to say until he can throw more strikes. See that, that to me is the problem. I mean, you, you look at the numbers and yes, he has a, has a rough area in the bullpen, but he's given up what three earned runs in his, uh, like well, his second early appearance, he pitched in relief in, in Toronto. But after being moved to the bullpen, he gave up three earned runs in his first game. That was against the Dodgers, which, you know, the Dodgers, okay. And he gave up two earned runs against Boston. Every other game, I mean, he's given up, what, one, two, three, four, five earned runs total, other than those in, I don't even know how many innings. I'm not going to do the math on the radio. But it, it, so a lot of it's been uh, in, in, in small outings, but the problem is the walks. If he can't throw strikes, it doesn't, it's not going to matter. Um, and, and, even with all that stuff, too, the strikeouts haven't been there. He's only got 12 and 18 innings as a reliever um, since since the break, at least. So it, it, I can see how it will work. I'm just not confident that it will work yet. But, again, this goes back to I don't know how you can evaluate anybody when they don't have a coach 
capable of helping them make adjustments as quickly as need as they need to be. So, it, it, to me, it, if you're looking at the stuff, um, yes, he deserves every chance in the world to be in that bullpen mix next year with Dylan Coleman, Scott Barlow, hopefully Josh Stalmont can come back, and Taylor Clark, who people have forgotten about, I have occasionally. Um, he could be a, a really nice weapon in the, in, toward the back of that bullpen with the right work. Well, when we look at the last week and a half here of the season, um, besides just, I guess, the battle for can the Royals fend off the Tigers for fourth in the AL Central, what is it that you're looking for? What are reasons to tune in over this final 10 days or so? Well, look, it's the same thing it's been for months now because the season's been over for a long, long time. I mean, I don't know how you can't enjoy watching a Vinny Pasquantino at bat or Bobby Witt Jr. running or MJ Melendez. He puts together such a good at bat. Or just Salvador Perez hitting a home run. You know, there there is a lot to enjoy about this Royals offense. Um, and, I mean, hey, they may score 12 runs in the final nine games because we've seen that from them, especially on the road. But, you know, I, not even just those guys. Michael Massey. Uh, Drew Waters, Edward Olivares is back, and he's he's playing and hitting really well. Uh, Nate Eaton, you know, doing doing his thing. There there are so many young players. Who, if the Royals are going to be good, whether it's twenty twenty three or twenty five or whatever, so many of these guys are going to be part of that. Um, they're they're just fun to watch. And look, wait, we got two more Brady Singer starts. I think. Um, I think two more Daniel Lynch starts. And the only one who doesn't get two more starts is. Um, gosh, I don't even know. I'm not sure. I, I, I guess Max Castillo might only get one more start. Uh, but it's it's been um, it's been fun to watch the young hitters develop. And hey, you never know. They're going to play Cleveland, and Cleveland has literally nothing to play for. All they have to play for is to get themselves ready for a three game series against somebody. Um, so the, they might be able to do some damage against kind of the Guardians B squad for those six games, and and the Tigers who are playing better, yes, but they're still not a good team either. So that, that, that part of it is just fun to watch. Well, David, before we let you go, player of the week. Oh, I, you know, it, it's not, not a difficult one this week. Vinny Pasquantino, he had a, a five RBIs, 450, he had a 560 on base percentage. Um, yeah, pretty impressive. I, I think he's, he's the easy guy. There are others, though, and they had a really good week. Bobby Witt Jr. had a good week. Drew Waters had a good week. Hunter Dozier had a good week. Don't tell anybody. Um, it, it, it was it was a good week for the Royals' offense, but Vinny Pasquantino was the best. He is David Lesky. Check out all his work. Subscribe to his Substack Inside the Crown. David, appreciate the time as always, man. Definitely. Thanks, Derek. All right, that's David Lesky, Inside the Crown, joining us here on RCST. One hour down, two to go. We'll be back after this timeout. We're going to be joined by Brandon Schneider in about 20 minutes from right now. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering? Venue 1235 has you covered, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. It's, it's not often lately over the past decade or so that we've had weekends where the Chiefs just completely do things that make you feel like not only did they lose, but they lost it themselves and that KU wins the game. Like, usually it's the other way around. 
Uh, the tide has shifted on that, and the Chiefs, that was ugly. Uh, like Again, it's one thing to lose a game. It's another thing to lose a game to a good team, and it's it, it's a third thing to lose a team to a team or lose a game to a team who's not very good, like the Colts, where just weird stuff happens all game, and weird stuff did happen in this game. But it's another thing where you just shoot yourself in the foot over and over and over again, and that is what happened to the Chiefs yesterday. I hate the Chiefs, man. They're so annoying. <laughs> this, this, I mean, man, dude. All right, so here's the deal. A couple things. Mm-hmm. Number one. What separates a good team from a great team is even when you have a bad week, even when mistakes happen, listen, it's the NFL. You're not going to play great football every single week. But what separates good teams from great teams is even when you have a bad week, you find a way to win games. Instead, the Chiefs found a way and another way and another way and another way to lose the game. They lost the game. Oh, it was sickening. Oh, it was so sickening. And listen. The whole, I've been stewing about this, obviously, as you can tell. After the game yesterday and even all day today, I've sitting there like, okay, well, there's probably people who are like, oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's week three. Chiefs are going to be fine. They're still probably going to make the playoffs and all yada, yada, yada. All that stuff's true, right? But I can promise you right now, I, I took a time machine into the future. End of December, the Bills are 12-5. and five. The Chiefs are 11-6. and six. The Chiefs don't get the one seed. <laughs> Why? Because of this game. This game. So, yes, it matters. Oh, well, good news. The Bills so lost annoying. too, but yeah, certainly the Bills' loss is one that is more, I guess, expected based on. I don't know. We'll get to some of that stuff in NFL Monday overreactions here. Uh, but yeah, that was. I mean, the special teams just a pure disaster there <laughs> to begin with. Everything the, the that they pretty much was, did was went wrong. wrong. There was one punt by Tommy Townsend that they downed at like the one or two yard line. That was that was. No, Tommy Townsend's the goat. Everybody else horrible. Well, yeah, every other play besides that was like a just absolute disaster. So you have the. And, the uh, Sky Moore opening yep. punt of the game where, I, I don't know, yep. he just, like, could not find the ball in the... Okay, the, to be fair, they showed, actually, they, they like, the camera panned up to, like, the roof of mm-hmm. Hoopsville Stadium. It's actually, it actually is kind of tough, like, to, to his credit. Oh, for sure. It's like, there's, like, the sun, they've got, like, these cross beams, because it's, like, you know, it's it's a it's a dome, but it's not a dome. It's, like, you know, so I, I understand a little bit. No, but, I mean... But here's here's what I would say. Don't field the punt! If yeah. it's inside the 10, don't even bother trying to field it. Like, yeah, I, I I think that that I'd was rather, about— I'd rather watch the Chiefs offense start from the 2 it, than, it, than buff a punt like that. Yeah, that was about as, as big of a home field advantage as you could ask for, having the roof open there where you were having these weird, like, sunlit— like, you had Travis Kelsey drop a potential touchdown. Yeah. Justin Watson di- dropped the uh, diving play. The yeah. sky more, too. I, I think that's probably the biggest reason of why that happened, both on the muff punt and then the very next punt where— he couldn't really find the ball, and it looked like he was actually trying to grab it again, but it just didn't touch yes. him and bounced. No, that was bad. Mm-hmm. So that was bad. That was a mess. Like every time right. you returned a kick, you got like stuffed at your own fourteen or fifteen. I have a serious bone to pick with you, Derek. With me? Yes, with you. What did I do? Early earlier in the season, might have mm-hmm. been after week one. You tried to convince me that kickers were not that important. I did. Yes. When? We had like an NFL Monday overreactions thing, and I said kickers were great, and you said that kickers don't matter. Oh. Kickers matter. No, I think I think yesterday we learned the value of having a great kicker. <laughs> okay. The value is you lose to the Colts. That's the value. We're being clear here. That was part of NFL Monday overreactions, and I think the statement that you made was that kickers are the most important position in football, which I will still stand by the idea that that is not the case. But yes, the okay, kicker well, did we have a big the hand. Chiefs in would be three and zero. 
I mean, if the kicker was the most important position on the team, then Patrick Mahomes is just like a nobody. But um, they, the yes, that was a big problem, right? You had the the missed field goal, you had the missed PAT, you had the faked field goal. That let's be clear, if if that you was have so bad, it's fourth and ten. Yeah, just it, kick the field goal. If you have trust in your kicker, you're kicking the field goal there. Well, okay, and here's my here's my thing. If you're going to run the fake field goal... Just have Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just run Patrick Mahomes right there. He's got a way better chance of picking up a fourth and ten yeah, than Tommy w- Townsend rolling out to his left, throwing to our fifth-string tight end or whoever. I don't even know who it was. I, I Yeah, the special teams are the problem, and I, I was honestly surprised they didn't just run out Justin Reed at some point. But, like, what you just brought up there, that was a bad game for Andy Reed. You had the end of the first half, which I know that's not all Andy Reed. Like, some of that is, is certainly Eric Bieniemy. You saw the confrontation between Patrick Mahomes and Bienemy at the end of the half. Kind of the lack of aggressiveness there to maybe get an extra field goal, which, hey, that would have been nice to have, right? You have that decision by Andy Reid uh, in that situation. It wasn't a great Andy Reid game overall, but there were so many reasons of why the Chiefs lost that game. And I think quietly amongst them, like even with the special teams and maybe some bad decisions there. The offense wasn't that good for the Chiefs last yesterday. Now, it, it's weird when you try to suss this out because if you say, okay, well, we did have Harrison Bucker, we did have, you know, a normal NFL average kicker or a good NFL kicker, you're making seven extra points just off two other field goals and a PAT to begin with. So they're on its own. You're at 24 points. And and that wouldn't be looked at as like, sure, it wouldn't be looked at as, oh, classic Chiefs putting up 30, 40 points in a game. But it wouldn't be looked at as like they had a bad offensive game. It'd be looked at as, oh, you had 24 points against a defense who's pretty good. And then if you don't have the muff punt, that's one less touchdown for the Colts. You win the game 24 to 13. So it's like not even a conversation. But like the pass blocking continues to really struggle for the Chiefs, which that continues to be concerning yeah. week in, week out. Orlando it, Brown bet on himself. Bad, dude. It's, it's not going well for him. I w- how much money do you think he, if he was a free agent right now, like free agency started today, how much is he getting per year? Significantly less than is what he Is he even getting double digits per I, year? I, I don't know. He hasn't been good. He was basically, I mean, the, the contract the Chiefs offered him that he declined that he wanted better, like guaranteed stipulations and stuff was like $20, 25000000 million a year. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know if he's getting 10 right now because he has been so bad. I mean, he he hasn't been that great against the run either. And, and that's what, it, it's weird trying to figure out what's going on with the running game too. Because the run you, game is horrible. Clyde well, had zero yeah. yards. Zero. Zero. That was the weirdest line ever. seven carries for zero touchdown. yards. Zero. The running backs as a whole averaged under two yards per carry. And when you look at like these grades, whether it's like ESPN has their like uh, run block win rate or pass block win rate, Pro Football Focus has their running grades. Like by all these different sites, the Chiefs have had like really good run blocking grades. So why are they not producing? The, I guess the I only know. thing that you would say there is that are the running backs like we saw certain screenshots after the game. We saw certain videos, certain clips after the game where well, my, my there's favorite, holes open for guys to run to somewhere Patrick Mahomes is pointing to. Okay. But they're not running there. My favorite part of those videos though is is Patrick Mahomes pointing. Yes. He's behind him. <laughs> he's he's pointing for to not to nobody. Nobody can see Patrick Mahomes pointing. He's pointing for us. <laughs> pointing so we know. Um one thing I do want to I do want to mention here that I think is is it should be concerning. I think it'll probably be fine, but by the way, I want to I want to preface this whole segment by saying the Chiefs are extremely fine. 
the Chiefs are going to be fine. They're going to win the AFC West. They're going to be the second seed in the playoffs. Whatever. I know I sound really mad, but I'm just I just want to I just want to clear that up real quick. But at the end of the first half, you had a more clashing between Mahomes, Eric, mm-hmm. Mahomes and Bieniemy. And optic wise, it's bad. This is not the first time that they have had these issues where they've butted heads, and it's just not a good look all around for anybody, really. I will say this though: if you're Eric Bieniemy, or if I'm or if I'm an offensive coordinator. And I have an all-time great quarterback. I think there are moments where you just have to trust your all-time great quarterback. Like nobody disagrees that Patrick Mahomes is a top three talented quarterback in the NFL and maybe in NFL history, right? So I think because of that fact, there are certain moments where, as an offensive coordinator or even as a head coach, if you're Andy Reid, you just need to get out of the way. Just get out of the way. Just let this guy let this guy work his magic. Let this guy do his art. And so. That's 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 what I think, but whatever the situation is between Mahomes and Mahomes and Bieniemy is they they've got to figure it out right. They had they had that spat like 2020 I think season at some point where it was kind of a prolonged issue, mm-hmm. and eventually they they fixed they worked it out. They they've got to work that out too because you can't you can't be having a rift between your your play caller and your quarterback and no. expect to be very successful especially in the playoffs. There well, needs to be. There needs to be total trust in that relationship. That was Which clearly is not. That was something that kind of occurred over the offseason, this idea that like, hey, what's going on there? There there's these rumors and, you know, kind of weird reports that do yeah. you trust it or not about And then there's the questions of, you know, why didn't why wasn't the enemy getting head coaching jobs? And yeah. Maybe this is part and why of why were they not even gonna possibly bring him back like he gets barely brought back at the end on a one year yeah, deal. So, so whatever the situation is here, like you've you've got to get that fixed. You gotta get that worked out. And I think in this case, normally, uh, normally I think you would say, well, you know, the, the coordinator, the coach is probably the guy that needs to, that is in the more power position. But here, if you're at the enemy, like I said, you just need to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. It's Patrick Mahomes. Just get out of the way. Just let him do his thing, right? Even if it, even if it seems not possible, or even if you're struggling offensively, like I get it. You're you're having a you were having a bad first half offensively, and you want to just get to halftime, make your adjustments. I get it. But you have Mahomes, the great equalizer. He can go out there and do anything on any moment. And so that's it was like I said, it's really just bad optics. And I hope that they I hope that they get that stuff ironed out because it's it's not good. And again, it's it's probably not something that's going to lead to the Chiefs having a lot of success in the postseason if they if they're not on the same page. Yeah. And it's I, I know a lot of people have said this, like it it is normal for guys who are highly competitive in a highly competitive situation that every yeah, so often things are hot. gonna boil yeah, their head, absolutely. right? But when there is the history there that makes you wonder, it certainly adds kind of extra intrigue to it. And with the offense not playing a, a great game really over the last two weeks with, you know, again, the offensive line kind of struggling there and you've invested so much money into it, uh, that's not great. I will say, uh, let's finish on a, a positive note, even though they did lo- lose the game. <laughs> Defense looked really good, man. And and I get it. It's the Colts. It's not this top-tier offense or anything. Matt Ryan is... Anytime you get even near him with pressure, he's you know basically throwing it into the dirt or throwing it away or whatnot. <laughs> um, but you still held Jonathan Taylor, maybe the best running back in the league, to well under four yards per carry. You did it all without Willie Gay. Mike Dana was injured for the game. Trent McDuffie obviously still injured. You did it with Chris. If Chris Jones doesn't have that really stupid penalty, you're holding them to 13 points in that game, and you're basically winning the the game for yourselves on the defensive side of the ball. 
They were good. They were good. I don't, um, don't want to read too much into it because it's the Colts, guys. I agree, it's, it's but if we now add it on to the full sample size of the full season. No, I understand. And, and yes, the, it, the, I don't think there's any question that the defense is, is performing well to this point in the season. That's fine. That's all great. It's the Colts. It's Matt Ryan. The guy's a statue. Sure they, have, sure, they have Jonathan Taylor, but, yeah, I mean, listen, you can be happy about it. I don't want to rain on your parade, Derek. I know you were trying to end the second. No, I am happy on it. I'm I, just, I'm just, sorry, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just really mad, honestly. I think this is a top really mad. 10 to 12 defense in the NFL, and I think that's going to help KU lead to, or the Chiefs lead to more wins than not. <laughs> with um, K, with McDuffie, that's probably true. That's probably true. And, and again, I, I think if you have a top 10, if you have a top 12 defense, with Mahomes and at quarterback, that's enough. You should be going to the Super Bowl, period. It puts you in discussion. I mean, the Bills might have top three offense yeah, with top Bills. five defense, okay. you know. So okay, it puts Bills. you in discussion. It puts you in discussion. That's what matters. Well, the Bills just had ten thousand minutes of possession against the <laughs> Dolphins and lost. They took up too much time at the end of the first half and the second half. Uh, by the way, some quick news on the KU front: late night in the fog has officially, I believe, announced yep. that uh, Shaq. Shaq is going to be performing. That's well, interesting. Well, I, I'm a bit confused because he's a, he's like the DJ, right? So is he going to – I mean, he's wrapped. He's, he's, so he's going to perform? I would assume. I, I was a bit confused by that. I saw it, and it was like, you know, his his DJ name is DJ Diesel. Right? Uh-huh. So it was like DJ Diesel's going to perform. But so, like, is he going to is he gonna sing? Is he going to – No, he raps. Is going to be There's, like DJ you know, stuff or like – uh, there's a song called No Hook with Shaq on it. He actually does a pretty okay do- job rapping. He, like, there's songs with him on it. I think, okay. he, I think he's going to rap, but the problem is nobody's going to know any of the, any of, like, the words or anything, you know, in the stands. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I don't know. I don't know. It could don't be know. cool for recruiting. You, you have Shaq out there, so we'll yeah, see how that true. goes. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not against it, but it's just going to be weird. It's so much different than like any of the other guys, right? Like, like you uh, just don't know what to expect, I yeah. guess, with the performance. Yeah, that's true. All right, we're going to take a timeout and then talk with the head coach of the KU women's basketball team who will be at late night with Brandon Schneider. That coming up on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Joined once again by Brandon Schneider here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Big 12 schedule just came out earlier today, and, uh, you know, obviously it's it's a little different with the Big 12 schedule than the non-con schedule because with the Big 12, you, you know who you're playing, and you know you're going to play everybody home and away and everything. You just don't know when it's going to be. So I guess what sticks out to you the most about how things got divvied out here over the Big 12 schedule? Um, I don't think anything major other than maybe uh... – you know, a seven day break, um, at the end of, uh, of January, I think, um, you know, we have our bye week and then, uh, due to TV, uh, our, our K state game at home, uh, was bumped another day. So, um, you know, that's a, can, can, you know, be, it be one of those things that, uh, can be a challenge or a blessing depending on how the, this season is going, you know, if you're playing really well and you're hot, I think you want to keep playing. Uh, if you're maybe a little nicked up with some injuries here and there, then, you know, having uh, a break to get some guys healthy can be positive. Well, your first big 12 game is on new year's Eve against Oklahoma state. And 
I, I would imagine that's that's got to be a challenge in its own right too, where uh, it, it's your first game off of I guess the holiday break, where you take on Nebraska on the twenty first. You have ten days in between the game. Is that is that something that you like being able to to come out refreshed and, and go straight into conference play, or is that kind of tough to after having a few days off? get back straight into the grind of things and go straight into conference play? Yeah, I think um, in a perfect world, you would have liked to have maybe a tune-up game at home um, right after the Christmas break. But with league play starting on the 31st, philosophically, I just don't believe in bringing our players back uh, ever until December 26th. So, um, you know, we felt like it'd be pretty hard to squeeze a game in there. Um, so... Uh, yeah, we'll we'll come back, and uh, I, I do know one thing. Um, when you start league play, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of juice, um, and and we have an experienced team. So I think going on the road for the first game, um, you know, hopefully uh, is going to be something that uh, our players are excited about. Yeah, and I'm sure it's it's kind of a. I don't know, an interesting thing when the schedule comes out and I'm sure some of the players start circling and going, oh, we're playing, you know, Baylor in January 7th and, and whatnot, but also trying to just focus on one game at a time to where, you know, you don't want to spend too much time focusing on, on things later in the year or whatnot. But I'll ask you this, I guess, uh, outside of just how good the teams are, just in terms of the environment, uh, what would you say is, has been the maybe the most fun or, or maybe the toughest environment in the Big 12 when you guys are playing on the road so far? Well, I think, um, you know, traditionally that's been Iowa State just because of the tremendous, you know, fan support that they've gotten there for a long time. I mean, they're going to have 10,000 in there pretty consistently regardless of who they play. So, um, and and then it always seems to be about minus four in Ames uh, every time we go up there. (laughs) Well, you guys get Iowa State at home on uh, senior day, which – with how good they've been, and, and you just talked a little bit about them. Uh, like I said, you, you don't want to look too far ahead, and you focus on the games at hand and whatnot, but um, I, I would imagine that'll be kind of a good test at the end of the season on senior day for an opportunity for quite some momentum headed into the postseason after that. Yeah, you know, I you, Derek, you're ahead of me because I haven't even really looked that close at it, but uh, uh, Iowa State, uh, I'm, I'm sure Ashley Jones, uh, with the injury to uh, with uh, Yoki at K State, um, I'm sure Ashley Jones will be the prohibitive favorite for preseason conference player of the year. Um, I would assume that that Iowa State will be picked one or two uh, in the preseason poll. They have a, a terrific bunch coming back, so um, you know, definitely not a quote unquote homecoming game uh, for for seniors. We're talking with Brandon Schneider here, KU women's basketball head coach on RCST. I know you can't talk specific recruits and whatnot, but I'll just say this was obviously a big recruiting weekend, and I think this goes for a lot of the different sports uh, over last weekend. How great of a recruiting opportunity was that for you all with the full Memorial Stadium and, and getting to kind of be around all the passion and excitement that's around Lawrence right now? Yeah, you know, I think um... – you know, having a, a, a packed house for, um, you know, our guys was was unbelievable. It was a terrific, terrific atmosphere. Uh, but I think maybe even more importantly than that was just the juice 
around campus and uh, up and down Mass Street, whether it was Friday night or Saturday morning for breakfast. Um, I think, uh, you know, when your fall sports uh, get an athletic department kicked off, you know, on the right foot, uh, there's just a, a ton, ton of excitement, um, you know, on campus right now and, and uh, throughout the community, in my opinion. And I guess what message with, with the Big 12 schedule now out, everything's out for, for you guys with the schedule, people can get season tickets and whatnot. Uh, what message would you give the fans for, for trying to create that type of environment and how impactful that is for your guys' squad this year? Well, you, you know, I've said publicly uh, that, you know, to steal a phrase from, from Coach Self that he uses often is, uh, you know, being good enough to be in the game. Uh, meaning that, that, it, that you have a team that's good enough to compete. You know, uh, typically what he's referring to as a national championship, I'm referencing uh, being good enough to compete for a conference championship. And I think uh, in that regard, we've got a team that's good enough to be in the game. And, uh, you know, for us to be in the mix in late February and, and early March for a Big 12 title, um, we need our fans to, to come out and support support this group of young women. I think that uh, if they come out and see us early in the non-conference, they're going to see what kind of team we have. Um, and and I, I believe we have a group of young women that are very, very easy to support. We're going to be six weeks out from the start of the season as of this Wednesday, I believe. Uh, when do things start changing over for you guys from, I guess, off-season work to starting to implement sets, plays, game planning work, that sort of stuff, or, or has that kind of already begun? Uh, no, it's this week. I mean, we, you know, we've been in the off-season, preseason, what we call our eight-hour period, um, you know, since school started. But we'll transition into official practice later this week, and um, – you know, now you're going anywhere from five to six days a week and uh, from two to two and a half hours. So uh, it starts this week. And, um, you know, I know as a staff and, and uh, the players, um, you know, we're just uh, a, a lot to look forward to and a lot of excitement to get started. When you have some veteran players at key positions like you do coming into this year and like you did last year as well, does that, does that allow you to, I guess – I don't know, add extra plays, add extra sets, or to kind of speed up the the process with, with a, a lot more players knowing everything there? Or is it just kind of a, a renewed, restarted thing every year because you always do have new players coming in? Yeah, I just think it, it really benefits when, when you're a veteran team. Um, you know, it's it's you can move so much quicker through things uh, because they're going to remember a lot you know, how we guard this or what's our ball screen coverage here, what's the our terminology. Um, it doesn't take them long to pick right up, you know, from where we left off a year ago. I think the challenge is for the new guys um, because, you know, we don't really slow down for them. It's, it's jump in the back of the line, pay attention, watch the vets, and uh, try to imitate as much as you can um, because the pace is going to move really, really quickly. Uh, you know, when you have 11 returners. Well, I want to finish off these interviews every week with, with ask, asking kind of a fun off-base question uh, to, to let the Lawrence area get to know more about Brandon Schneider, which obviously you can do more of here on KLWN by listening to Hawk Talk when that starts up during the year. But uh, I'll ask just kind of a, a more random question here to finish things off. Uh, 
what is your favorite board game? Wow. Uh, my favorite board game. I don't play a lot of board games, uh, but I would have to probably go with Monopoly. Classic. You're going to be up late keeping that game alive because it uh, hours and hours to finish, but you can't go wrong with uh, <laughs> with Monopoly. <laughs> well, we played a lot of Risk in my day, too, On back when they didn't have TVs and things on the buses <laughs> that we traveled on. So the problem is when that bus driver takes a sharp turn or somebody cuts him off, those pieces go all, yeah. all over the place. Yeah, uh, that that would be a tough one to play on uh, the bus, but uh, I got both of those games back at home. But, uh, Coach, I appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, look forward to the uh, future conversations. You got it. Thank you. That was Brandon Schneider, head coach for the KU women's basketball team. Their season starts up six weeks from Wednesday. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Our NFL Monday overreactions next. Coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, KU landed a four-star recruit in basketball. We'll also get into some more KU football talk here. Got some Jalen Daniels audio from this press conference to get to you later in the 5 o'clock hour as well. But it is Monday. Some more NFL games happened. It's time to get to our NFL Monday overreactions. Nick, what's the first reaction? A re- overreaction. Yo, overreaction. Well, no, these are very... Very accurate reaction. Okay. Actually, you're just going to tell me if they're reactions. <laughs> All right. First off, I already know what the Super Bowl is going to be, Derek. Mm. You ready? Yeah. I went. I went to the future and I saw Dolphins Eagles Super Bowl. Whoa! I wonder what you could get on on like the exact odds of that of, like, being the Super, the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you did that in the preseason, I bet you you could have got like <laughs> what 100 to one, 200 to one, something Maybe crazy. Even more. Yeah. I don't know. At this point, it's probably a little bit lower. The Eagles have looked really good, man. Um, yeah. I think the Eagles have always been one of those teams that they're pretty solid, but they're never like you never expect them to go to the Super Bowl. Of course, they won the year right. with Nick Foles, but they're not they're never a team that you early in the season people are like, oh, Eagles Super Bowl. You know what I mean? They're always kind of that team that just kind of stays in the hunt. You know, they make the playoffs as a wild card or lower seed, and then they make a run. I mean, the the defensive line they sacked Carson Wentz nine times yesterday. So the Carson defense Wentz sacked himself like six. That's times. true. Yeah, like five or six of those were Carson Wentz <laughs> being Carson Wentz, which is not ideal. But uh, the defensive line is good. They've got some like Darius Slay in the secondary, solid player and everything. Uh, the offensive line is really good. Jalen Hurts looks like he's taking a legit step forward. Yes, yes. He's been awesome so far. They have enough weapons around him, more than enough. I mean, Devontae Smith was making huge plays yesterday. A.J. Brown, we know what he can provide on the outside there as well. I, I'm buying into the Eagles. And, okay, and, what about the Dolphins? Hmm. I'm still not there. Really? Impressed. How could you not be there? 3-0. and I, I mean, if you're just basing it on resume alone, yes. they have wins over Baltimore and Buffalo as well. Two playoff teams, probably. I think they are a playoff team. But this feels like, to me, the team who starts hot. Teams haven't really figured them out yet. They also, like in both games, I don't view them as the result indicates they're the better team. No, the Buffalo game, they should not have won. Correct. I mean, you look, you look at you look at just the stats. What was the yardage? Like 400 to like 210 well, or something like that? And the possession was like 43 minutes to 17 minutes or something crazy. It's just the Bills had a couple red zone drives stall out. 
And also, like, I don't know if you were watching it this time. At the end of the first half, the Bills completely messed up. They, uh, I forget what the score was at the time at halftime, but they were working their way down. They got into field goal range. They threw, like, a quick slant to get into field goal range. They had to go up and spike the ball. They had, like, four seconds left. And they tried to spike the ball, and Josh Allen, like, fumbled the snap. It was, like, kind of a la Montel Cozart and whatever. And so instead of spiking it, he threw it out to the side to Stephon Diggs, who caught it, made like a five-yard play and ran out of bounds, but the clock ran out, so they didn't get time to attempt the field goal. That would have ended up because they lost by two. Um, They also, at the end of the game, ran out of time. Did you see the video of Ken Dorsey? Yes. The offensive coordinator? Oh, my gosh. He was so upset. Oh, that was an instant meme. That's going to be used forever now. Yeah. (laughs) Instant meme. But, yeah, so. That was me watching the Chiefs. I, I didn't view that and also the Ravens game where it took this crazy, you know, once in a season type 21.4th quarter comeback to win the game as like, oh yeah, they're clearly the better team. So I think they're going to be a playoff team. I think they're a good team. I probably wasn't giving them enough credit in the preseason. I still don't think they win the AFC. Okay. Okay. So yes, right, it is so- an overreaction, but like, I, I don't know the Eagles, are they deservedly the favorite in the NFC right now? In the NFC? In the NFC, just to win the conference. No. Who would you put? Packers? Well, yeah, I guess. But the, the Eagles the are probably look, second there, the Bucks, right? The Bucks look bad. Bucks offense, yeah, looks Bucks really look bad really so far. Bad. Which means they'll guess, go for like forty against yeah, the Chiefs. I guess, but. I guess maybe the Eagles would be the second. I mean, I you probably have to put the the, the Packers first. I, I would. Think. I'd be fine with that. I mean, that was both our picks to make it before the season started. All right. So if if the Dolphins, but the also Eagles the Eagles not, beat beat. I mean, they they beat down the Vikings, and the Vikings beat down the Packers. Yeah. All right. So if the Dolphins and the Eagles are not going to make the Super Bowl, okay. how about this? There are no elite teams in the entire NFL. Mm. None. Okay, I can get on board with this. I don't know if this is an overreaction. Really? Now, okay. it could be because, like, what's to stop the Bills from finishing 14-3 and three even after, like, one weird loss? Yep. You know, nothing. Yep. I can kind of get on board with this, though. Like, I, I think that this is kind of a, a way of how you view it. You know what I mean? Like, if you're 13-4, and four, does that automatically make you elite or something? I would say so. Unless it's like, unless you can mm. definitively like point to where it was clearly a fluke. Right. It's just they played like, like they played <laughs> in a division where they went or 6-0 like, and know, or, everybody or like, else sucked. Or like the, you know, the Broncos, for example. Uh-huh. The Broncos play a cakewalk schedule. If, yeah. they, if they win 12 games or 13 games, they're not an elite team. I won't allow it. I, I, I think I, I, would, I can I would stick boycott with the NFL if the Broncos won 13 games. Yeah, I, like... The Chiefs are obviously going to be a Super Bowl contender, but are they elite? Eh, they got some flaws. The Bills are a Super Bowl contender. They would be the closest team to me that I would say elite, but then you just lose like that to the Dolphins in a weird game. You can't run the football. Huh? If we're talking about the Eagles and the Dolphins is a legit Super Bowl outcome, <laughs> then I don't. I think the answer to this is there are no elite teams. Like every team that you would think of is is really good right now. It's more from the idea of. Oh, but they've been good in the past. Or, oh, we think they're good. Like, the Chargers, it's like, oh, we think they're good. But now their whole team is injured. Justin Herbert, I don't know why they even played him. I don't don't know if you saw Rashawn Slater's out for the year. Yeah, out for the year. Uh, Their receiver, they drafted in, like, the fourth rounder, I want to say. What's his name? Jalen, I don't know, whatever. The rookie Uh, receiver. He's out for the year. Obviously, the the Slater injury. Herbert, I, again, don't know why they're even playing him right now. Like, they're just beat up. The Packers, like, yes, 
They're still Aaron Rodgers and everything, but they still don't have any receivers. They only put up 14 points yesterday and barely beat a yeah, Bucks know, team without any receivers. I don't know that you could call the Packers elite. I mean, they have Aaron Rodgers, obviously, but as a whole, and we they just elite? said they're the favorites in the NFC. So if they're not elite, <laughs> then the only teams you could say are elite Listen, are the Chiefs or I'm the gonna, Bills, but they just both I'm lost. Gonna, I'm going to put the rose-colored glasses on and tell you the Chiefs are elite. Okay. Sort. And no, I won't. I won't. I want to explain. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think that's fair. All right. Next one, Trevor Lawrence. Living up to the hype. Very good. Mm. Thoughts? Let me ask you a question. Who is Who would you rather have as your franchise quarterback right now, Tua or Trevor Lawrence? I don't know. Maybe Trevor Lawrence. They've both looked pretty good so Maybe far. Maybe Trevor Lawrence. Now, the thing with Tua is he pretty much had one, like, outburst game and then two just, like, meh games. Also, though, against the Bills, I don't know why they played him in the second I mean, Tua half obviously, that looked bad. I mean, Tua obviously looks better because he has better weapons. But Yeah. I don't know. I, no, would, I, I would go with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, the thing about Trevor Lawrence is I feel like it was an overreaction of people looking at his first year, right? Yes. I, I don't know if you saw this, but they put up they put up stats of, like, Trevor Lawrence's first year compared to, like, Peyton Manning's first year. And it was, like, virtually the same. Like, Peyton Manning had a horrible first year. I think he won, like, three games in his first year with the Colts, too. It was, like, Peyton Manning, Trevor Lawrence, and there was another, like, I don't think it was Drew Brees, but they had another, there was three quarterbacks that they displayed as their first year. And they and it was like Peyton Manning and like I said somebody else who was ended up being having a really good NFL career and they were horrible in their first year and so was Trevor Lawrence but obviously maybe too early to tell and now here he is kind of turning around early. He was shredding up that that was the thing even though like you could have convinced me oh the Jaguars are going to pull the upset over the Chargers or that um, crap out of them yeah exactly or that like it would be a close loss but. I did not see that coming because of the fact that, like, we saw what the Chargers' defense did to the Chiefs' offense. It wasn't, like, domination, but, like, they they, they had a good showing, so right? how badly does this then reflect on Urban Meyer? <laughs> I think very the badly. The Jaguars are just absolutely destroying people left and right with Doug Peterson, and Urban Meyer couldn't win two games. Wait, so what? Uh, Jaguars are 2-1. So, Doug, Doug Peterson has already matched Urban Meyer's win total. Uh, yes. In just his third game. That's fun. Yeah, that does not reflect well because he uh, did not— because it's not like the talent is totally different. Like, yes, the Jaguars did do I mean, some they, things in the offseason. They spent offseason, a lot of money right? in free agency. They got, like, Christian Kirk. And exactly. Guys on defense but what too, you just but. said, they got Christian Kirk and Zay Jones, and they got a few guys. Like, they got they got good veteran <laughs> they got some, talent. Yeah, they got they some, did not they got completely some average, overhaul it. Some average NFL guys. Yes, this is a lot of internal improvement, <laughs> schematic improvement yes. from the Jaguars, and, and a big step taken forward by Trevor Lawrence. Like, that's what the quarterback, I guess, will do uh, alone there. But, yeah, I was, I was really impressed by the Jaguars. Um... Is is Florida the best state for football right now? Like NFL football, it's got to be right. Because Texas, you have what Dallas, yeah, Houston, Houston nah, can't be them. They suck. California. I mean, it's it's also partially like you have certain. It's harder to like, say though because like what what state do you put the Chiefs in? I guess it doesn't matter. It's in Missouri, but like okay, if I give you, I guess the other contenders just by volume of amount of teams there, because you're right, like you only get one team with with Missouri, so it's not <laughs> well, really fair. You only fair. get one team from most states. Exactly, so it's not really fair. So the only real contenders are like Texas, Florida, California, California and I'll give you New, New York, York if you want to add the even Bills. Though the Giants are in New Jersey. Yes, and even though the Giants are in New Jersey, I think you can. Let's just say the New York area. So you get the Bills, the Jets, and the Giants. I mean, the, the Giants are not bad. I guess we'll see you tonight. Giants are 2-0? Yeah. I think I you do Ohio, Cleveland, and Cincinnati if you no. want to go there. No, those are No, we bad. do not. Oh, what about Pitt, uh, Pennsylvania? Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh Philadelphia? And That's Yeah. It that could be a good one. Yeah. Let's see. With California, you have the, the 49ers who, 
I see all this talent in the defense, and I'm like, oh, they should be good, but they're one and two with losses to the Bears, and I don't know how they lost the game last night. <laughs> uh, we'll get into that. The more. Chargers, we mentioned them, beat up and everything. Yeah. Las Vegas. All right. Speaking of the Chargers. Mm. The but anyway, Chargers, yes, Trevor Lawrence is good. That's not an overreaction. Speaking of the Chargers, mm-hmm. the Chargers team doctors are the least valuable asset in the league as a collective unit. Like, if you were to look at, like, units, you have, like, your quarterback room, your running back room, your team doctor room, worst team doctor room in the league. Yes. It's it's without a doubt. I mean, we have the Terod Taylor story, which actually, would that be, like, positive value because it allowed Justin Herbert to kind of come in and, and break out? Yeah. Um, but no, like, why on earth would you clear him? This is your franchise quarterback. Who okay, cares? But, okay, counterpoint, though. Yes. Did you see how what happened to Tua and how he got back in the game? Yes, and that should the not NFL have happened. The NFL PA literally, like, within an hour after the game ended, they were like, we're opening an investigation into this right now to change the rules. <laughs> like, like, it was, like, immediate. It was, like, the game mm-hmm. ended, and the NFL PA was like, we're, we're on the case. Yes, because it was so obvious on the video that, like, he was not okay. Do you, me- do you remember the— Stumbling around. Yeah, do you remember the, the Case Keenum incident from, like, oh, boy, this would have been, like, maybe 2017? I think he was, he was playing for the Rams at the time. And same thing. He got, like, knocked out on the field. And they, like, let him back in, like, two plays later. <sighs> Crazy. I don't understand it. Um, but yeah, was even after they'd implemented the independent, whatever the hell you want to call those guys, the independent uh, neuroprocessors or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Guys in the box that are supposed to stop that kind of stuff. Well, now the Chargers are sitting there in a situation where it's like, because when you saw Justin Herbert out on the field, it was clear it was affecting him. He was trying to avoid hits. He was trying to throw it early. Sometimes it would be inaccurate. He was thrown off his back foot to try to avoid. To, he did not look right, which makes sense. He has whatever the, fractured what they ribs. termed it. Yeah, fractured broken rib ribs. cartilage or broken ribs, whatever, whatever it is. Whatever you want to call it, yeah. I mean, let the guy sit for four weeks. I mean, I wouldn't want to play through that. You think this is Chase Daniels? Like, no, I did not sign <laughs> to be playing no, games. This, this you have be, to keep playing, This Justin. should be Chase Daniels' moment in the sun. This is when he should be stepping up and saying, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Get me in there. I can throw more passes at $200,000 a pop. Get yeah. me in. I don't know. Chargers, doctors. Um, yeah, right. are they the least valuable asset in the league? Well, they're certainly not helping. Yeah. All right, sticking with the AFC West. Or, yeah, sticking with the AFC West. Is the AFC West the worst division in the NFL? <laughs> um, I won't I overreact too much on this. I can't tell if that laugh is a good or bad mm, thing. A little bit of both. It's kind of <laughs> like a... Uh, Laugh out your pain. Um, we thought it was the best. I'll say this. It's certainly not the best division in football like we thought it was going to be. But no, it's still not the worst. I'm trying to Who's think. Who's worse? Well, okay, that's the problem. I was the just going to say that. The only 0-3 oh, team gosh. in the league, the Raiders. <laughs> the Chargers are a disaster. A disaster. The Broncos, I don't even need to, I don't even need to say anything We're else. for first. Beyond the Broncos. And the Chiefs just lost to the Colts, who are the third best team in the AFC South. The third. Uh, well, you know what? I was just going to say, what's a worse division? I was going to say, well, the AFC South, oh, no, the Colts beat the, the Chiefs. Jaguars the Jaguars are, romped on the, the Chargers. And the Titans beat the Raiders. And the Texans almost Unequi- beat the Broncos. Unequivocally, the AFC South is better than the Yikes. West. Um, on, we just saw it on the field. What about, is the, is the, NFC, is the NFC West worse? Because the 49ers lost to the Broncos. The Seahawks no. are bad. Cardinals lost the to the Seahawks Chiefs. The Seahawks beat the Broncos, though. Yeah. 
I, d- I don't think it will be by the end of the year. <laughs> you could make the case right now, just based on resume. You could make the case right now, okay. but by the end of the year, no. I'll say it still ends up being one of the best three divisions in the NFL. That could be an overreaction, honestly. That could as well. Yes. Although I have no basis to react to. so <laughs> That's I- true. Okay. Last one. Trey Lance is better than Jimmy G. Mm, I think last week we had the overreaction of, of the Jimmy Niners. Jimmy better than yes. Trey Lance. <laughs> We're already going back. Um, We're already overreacting the other yes, way. Yes, I'm ready to overreact back the other way there. <laughs> Dude, how do you run out of bounds? Like, come on. Yeah, you can't the way, let that happen. Who, who, that ended up being the difference in the game. You by lose. the way, was there any any happier person on the whole planet than Dan Orlovsky last night? No, because now he's, he's like... He's free. Yes. Like, last night his name got brought up a ton... But now, from future years, it'll be Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo, G. right? Jimmy G. Because not only that, Jimmy G. safetyed and threw a pick six yeah. on the same play. That was the forgotten part in it all. That like it wasn't just him running <laughs> out of bounds, but actually <laughs> him running six. out of bounds saved himself from wow, throwing okay. a pick six. Galaxy brain actually from Jimmy G. Maybe mm. he's actually a genius. He was like, you know what? I have nobody to throw it to here anyway. Otherwise, I'm gonna get sacked. I'll just I'll take the step out and I won't have to take the hit. Yeah, that was ugly from him last night. He also had. Uh, the interception on the drive where the 49ers were trying to, uh, at the end of the game, get the yep. field goal or I'm some sort of point. I'm very happy with Jimmy G because mm. I bet on Jimmy G under 233 passing yards, <laughs> and, and it, it got home. So I actually have no qualms with Jimmy G. I thought he did a great job last night. Great job, Jimmy G. Great job, Jimmy G. But, yeah, I guess Trey Lance is better. What do you do if you're the 49ers this offseason? Yeah, see, this is a disaster because we talked about this last week. It was like the question of well, what if Jimmy G just goes crazy and you guys go to the Super Bowl? What if he just sucks? Yeah, that's what, even worse. What, what, if he's, what if he's just horrible? Well, because now it's like do you invest another draft pick in a quarterback when you have a guy on your roster who you just traded for and paid big money? And, and obviously Jimmy G will be a free agent. Do you sign him? Do yeah, you I go guess, with Trey Lance? I guess Jimmy G sucking would actually be good for the 49ers because then they don't have to worry about trying to resign. They can just be like, all right, you're gone. But then Trey still, Lance what do you do? Do you go with Trey Lance? Do you sign a you veteran? With, I think you have to roll with Trey Lance. Man. I think you have to roll with Trey Lance. You can't. If the Niners end up being like really bad, like they have a top five draft pick bad, they they can't take a quarterback. They can't. I mean, I guess they could, but mm. I think you have to. I think you have to stick with Trey Lance. I think so too. So I, I guess I'm, otherwise you're just hitting the reset uh, button and you're stuck. You know, well, at least Trey Lance. And how can many run more the ball? years is the defense going to be elite? Yeah, the the longevity of great defenses is so much shorter. Yes. So I guess Trey Lance is better, but I don't know. I feel like, like we could ask you, this if again your next defense week. Defense is top ten, mm-hmm. like more than two years in a row. That's incredible. Yeah. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Two hours down, one to go. KU basketball lands a four-star recruit and Derek's deep deliberations at the top of the five o'clock hour. That next. Bend on it. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Coming up later in the hour, we've got some Jalen Daniels post-game audio to get to you here on the show. KU has a new commit for the class of 2023. That would be Jamari McDowell. He is a 6'4", 180-pound shooting guard, ranked 42nd in the 24-7 sports ranking sheet, but also 77th on their composite. So certainly differing opinions on him. We'll we'll talk about uh, him with Kevin Flaherty tomorrow 
and, and maybe get a bigger idea of him. But here's the scouting report from Adam Finkelstein of 24-7 Sports. McDowell is long and athletic with a solid frame that is only going to continue filling out. He runs and jumps with ease, covers the court, and gets well above the rim. While more wing than true guard right now, there is a skill set that is clearly developing. He was reportedly not known as the shooter coming up the ranks, but shoots a clean and easy ball now and even flashes some glimpses of tough shot-making potential. Similarly, he is not an overly dynamic creator yet, but is good enough with the ball to be a potential big secondary handler and a pick-and-roll threat down the road. Defensively, there's clear tools with his length, size, effort, mobility and a generally high motor overall mcdowell appears to be a rapidly emerging wing who combines physical tools budding skills good intangibles and some big guard potential to impact the game on both ends of the floor this sounds like a pretty ideal bill self athletic wing that he can play kind of up and down the lineup sounds like a maybe a possible market marcus garrett type player thoughts maybe i mean it's it's really impossible to know with all these players yeah, until you yeah. truly see them yeah. in person, and th- and that's like a very high bar to set to a guy on the defensive side of the ball. But no, that is true. What you're that talking about in but terms I mean, of like being, in terms of size and length, and yes, size, like length, athleticism, and again, like defense was mentioned many times here in the scouting report. That yeah, he could end up being like you know your defensive stopper guy who you can play between the two three positions. He clearly can get up. Um, athletic yeah, I player. I didn't mean to make it. Yeah, no, I I know what you meant though. Yeah. Yeah, just in terms of like that type of player, but who knows? Maybe he can even me. They they said the shot wasn't really known for being there, but it's coming around. Maybe it's an Ochak Baji thing where you're talking about a guy who was a really good athlete and the shot was a little inconsistent as he stuck around at KU. It became, you know, kind of a calling card for him. So, uh, yeah, it's a big time recruit, and we'll talk more about it with Kevin later this week. Okay. I uh, don't do this always after KU games, but I had a, a lot of thoughts going around my head after the game, not just KU-related, but some stuff dealing with the KU football game itself. Um, so we're going to do an episode of Derek's Deep Deliberations. And uh, the first thing here, the broadcast was was certainly an experience. We obviously love Eric Collins on this show, the buzzer that we use for... RCST trivia is Eric Collins yelling, oh, we <laughs> have loved watching his highlights for calling when Devontae Graham was a part of the Charlotte Hornets and getting to hear a lot of that. But I don't think I'd ever actually like heard or watched a full broadcast. Like it had always been highlights and it's like, oh, this is this yeah. is fun. But the would, full would, broadcast, like, it was want, wild. Would you want him to be like mm. the voice of your team? I don't think so. I think he's like a, imagine Kansas City gets mm-hmm. a bat, an NBA basketball team and he becomes the voice of the Kansas City. Whatever. Yeah, like I'm not going to complain about. It. Like I don't, I don't think he's. You know, it's definitely though something where when you watch the full broadcast itself, it's like okay, this can sometimes be a little too much because every play, it's almost like you know, it'll start off like it's never like a, a long shift into the buildup of the play or the bit it's just immediately like, zero like to 100 a crescendo right oh. it's like all of a sudden you go straight from oh well this is about to be a holy cow that's a touchdown you know what i mean like it's it's just like this insane buildup so again i thought it was it was fun and it was exciting and all this stuff but it, it was just certainly certainly an experience i think would be a way to put it uh zach boyer from the lj world tweeted after the game i wanted to bring this up he thought it was Kind of embarrassing that the KU was storming the field after the game, and there was a lot of brushback to that. Now, I'll be clear. I don't really have an opinion on the storming the field thing. I see the side of it where it's just like, well, we're just trying to have fun, and 
like the purpose of watching sports is to have fun, and these are college students. Like, let them do whatever they want. I also see the side of it where it's like, okay, but where's the line there? You know, are we just going to – you can just do whatever you want. You can just storm the field every time there's a touchdown or <laughs> – um, you know, should we just be celebrating every small thing? So, like, I do understand both sides of it. But to be clear, I don't really care that much. Storm the field if you want. Don't if you don't. Um, my thing with this is I saw a lot of people, you know, I guess. Like getting kind of, more mad yes, about. Yes, getting very the, mad. Not even the storm mm-hmm. fielding part, but, like, the reaction to it. Yes, the reaction from Zach and, and his take on everything. And, again, I'm typically pro field storming, so I, I'm, I'm not the guy who is sitting there going, hey, I totally agree with Zach, and I'm banging the drum that he had the greatest take in the world there. I don't necessarily agree with it, but here's the thing that bothers me. You'll see so many people approaching that tweet from Zach and being like, oh, I'm never going to read the LJ world now, or this this guy sucks, or this whatever publication's out. And I'm like, dude. Calm down. You can disagree with somebody about something small, like a, a take on whether you should storm the field or not, <laughs> and separate that from the idea of you suck or I hate you or I hate your publication. The LJ World does great work. Zach does great work. And just because you disagree with him about something like that does not invalidate everything. How would you like it if I walked around with you all day and I <laughs> sat there and you go, you know what? I want, I want a burger, but I don't want lettuce on it. And I went... You don't like lettuce on your burger? I hate you. You're the worst person in the world. You have the worst taste palate in the world. So anybody who overreacted to that tweet, just buzz off, dude. Like, focus on other stuff. There's more important stuff going on in the world. And again, like, I I don't agree necessarily with Zach's take, but I'm not going to all of a sudden turn it. Like, it's one thing to be like, okay, I disagree with your take. I think that might have been silly or ridiculous to say that. It's another thing to just completely ether someone's personality or publication or something like that. So, anyway, that's just my kind of thought on that. Um, by the way, it's it's going to be really sad when the sports books finally catch up with KU. Because they still have not totally caught up with and this doesn't just apply to KU against the spread. Depending when you got the line, you would have won or lost. Depending when you got the spread, KU would either be 3-1 and one or 4-0 and oh against the spread this season. But it's not just about that. It's about everything that goes into this. Because there's not been a total understanding of what this KU team is. Like, when you look at each week what the Jalen Daniels passing yardage over has been. Or when you look at what, like, the rushing totals have been, it seems like every week these prop bets are, like, rising by insane insane amounts from one week to the next because Vegas hasn't figured out quite yet, or just the sports books in general, how to approach KU. What's the proper line to put them at? What's the proper over-under here? Because there's still this built-in, in the same way that fans view it, of, like, there's still this built-in idea of, oh, we're going to mess this up. There's still that built-in idea, and it keeps not happening, which has made this first year, which is even better that sports betting is now legal in Kansas, and this <laughs> has happened to coincide with that, has made it so much more even profitable. Yes, yes. So without KU doing what they've done, I would be very poor. I just haven't won a lot of other bets. <laughs> I just haven't won a lot of other bets. I'd be extremely poor. So <laughs> thank you to KU for, for both just being awesome, just being awesome on the field and winning games, but... Yeah, as, as you said, it's been very profitable as well. And they're, they're not even favored against Iowa State, which I guess isn't that surprising. I mean, Iowa State, they played Baylor pretty close, lost by seven. But Iowa State was favored in that game. 
and now they're favored again against KU. So, I don't know. Do you think if, like, remove the remove the helmets and, and the team, just the, the resume, the results themselves, the record, if Kansas had a different helmet on, would they be favored this Saturday? Maybe. Well, this kind of goes into the discussion about them being ranked or not. KU's 26. And then you had a bunch of people on Twitter saying, oh, well, if KU was an SEC team, they'd be top 10. <laughs> right? Like, I get 4-0. Yeah. You know, which maybe. I mean, I don't know. But, but yeah, I mean, no, there, there definitely is still that stigma of KU football. Like, there's, there's it's kind of interesting, actually. There's a KU football has gotten so much positive press coverage, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so many people are, like, buying in, jumping on. Like, this is a really cool story, right? But at the same time, there is still sort of that, like, underbelly of it where it's like, Okay, you know we're having our fun with K football, but they're gonna go back to right. you know being bad, and then it'll be it'll all be fine, right? That's what it feels like. In in some cases, it feels like it feels like okay, you know we're gonna go we're gonna go crazy, you know rank K football, rank K football, but we're just gonna have some fun, you know they're gonna go back to being bad, and then you know whatever, right? Like that's that, that's a real there's a very real sense that I get from some of the discussion about nationally. Yeah, that it's like oh that's a cute story, exactly. Like oh yeah, it's a fun story. But you're not you know, gonna actually gonna, crash our party of yeah, being you know exactly. Yeah, I yeah. Do you have would you would you go either way on that KU plus three and a half early in the season? Do you feel good about that or I don't know. Avoid for now. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm I, I I don't know. I mean I mean last week you said that early in the week you were like ah that's too many points. And see, then by the time we exactly. got to Friday you, you were like the, KU's the, winning by a hundred. It's it's the Lou Holtz effect, man. <laughs> okay. On Monday you're the worst team in the in the, in the history of the of football. <laughs> on Tuesday you might win. Wednesday. Okay, you're okay. Thursday, you're 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 really good. Friday, you're winning the national championship. So on right now, yeah, we're the worst team in football. Well, certainly a lot of people were upset and deservedly so. Kansas not ranked in that latest AP Top 25 or the coaches' poll for that matter. And, and I'll say this: um, the worst part about Kansas not being ranked is that if they don't win this week against Iowa State, it's probably kind of like a treadmill that you're never going to fully catch up to because. If you lose to Iowa State, even if you beat TCU the week after that, it's not going to get you ranked, and then you have that really tough three-game stretch. Now, yep. if you do the the uh, unpredicted or unthinkable or whatever and win, um, you know, over Baylor and Oklahoma or something like that, then yes, you will be ranked. It's just that's not really expected, and, and that's unfortunate because the rankings at the end of the day, especially with the AP poll, the AP they don't poll, matter. exactly, it doesn't matter. Matter. It doesn't determine who makes the playoff. It doesn't determine what bowl game you go to. Now, to a certain extent, the college football playoff ranking matters because it matters for who makes the playoff. <laughs> and it does matter for which teams make New Year's Six Bowls, right? They put the highest ranked teams in. And what, what highest ranked group of five team goes to a New Year's Six Bowl? So, like, there are certain things about the rankings that matter. But whether Kansas is 25th or 26th, it does not matter in okay. the big scheme of things. I do have to disagree with you on this point, though. Well, no, I, I'm actually getting around to this. Like, I, I think it actually does matter to KU, and it oh. matters to teams like KU. No, I'm, uh, I, I actually I agree with that. No, what I disagree with mm-hmm. is how you said it was the worst part of them being ranked because they, they might not be ranked. Disagree. The worst part of them not being ranked right now mm-hmm. is that K-State is 25th. Now, here, now let, me, <laughs> let me explain. Let me explain. I don't care, okay? Mm-hmm. I really don't care, right? If K-State was 24 and KU was 26, great. But why? Why? Why do they have to be 25? Why? Why can't they be 24? Why can't they be 23? Why can't they be any other number besides 25? Because now we got right next we got one. we got the clown we got the clown brigade on Twitter at K-State. Oh, we're 25, we're 26. Like, dude, just be 24, please. <laughs> I, I would rather you be 24. 
Just why? 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 Well, see, I, I think the reason that it does matter, like, of being ranked for a team like Kansas or, or some of these group of five teams, I, I mean, I've been a victim of this before, where you're you're figuring out, well, what game am I going to watch? Or what games am I going to put on if you have a, a multi-TV setup? Like, what, what games am I going to put on? And you're between games, and, and you're like, well, that team's ranked. Let's see what they're all about. Okay, you know, yeah. you put them on. Yeah. And so that can matter a little bit there. But also, I think it's the idea that, you know, when you're talking, like, history with these teams or you're saying, well, how good of a program has it been? For KU right now, you still have to say, well, they haven't been ranked since 2009. They haven't, no. And that shouldn't be accurate because just, what happens if, if KU over the next two years is not in another position to be ranked? And you should have been able to say, well, they were ranked back in 2022 as opposed yeah. to it's been 15 years. Honestly, I just want to wake up and open up. The ESPN app or CBS Sports or whatever whatever sports app. See the number next to them. Yeah, just see the little number. I don't even care what the number is. Just see the little number. Little number. That's never happened before. Just think about it. Back in 2009, you didn't have smartphones that did all that stuff. So that's never happened for anybody. Well, now you just got to take care of business against against Iowa State, and uh, hopefully they can do that. Because then, at that point, you are going to be ranked no matter what. Yes. Last thing I got here for Derek's deep deliberations, I think if – well, not, I shouldn't even say if. It's almost like a win because it feels like it happens every year. Okay. Next time college game day for basketball approaches KU and says, we want you guys to host college game day this week. It'll probably be for like the, well, no, they're they're Kentucky on the road this year. I don't know. They'll get one this year. Well, they got Indiana. Whatever, right? They got Indiana. Yeah. Uh, do they do college game day by then for basketball? It could be. Oh, I don't know. Because it's after the football season before oh, bowl true. season, so true, I don't know if they do it. But, yeah, yeah there, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for it. They should just say no. They should be like, no, you didn't give it to us in football. <laughs> We're going to be petty. Go do it somewhere okay, else. Okay, serious question. Is is that how this is that how that works? Like, like if ESPN says, college game day, we're going to go to X university. Mm-hmm. Can, does, can the university That's just step question. in and be like, no? Like, can they even do that? Because like well, it's ESPN, they could just go set up anywhere they want. That's true. Like they don't. Do they, they need just permission? find a public setup? Yeah. Do they need? Do they need permission from the university? No. To have you know what? Host college game day. You're probably right to the extent of college game day could go wherever they want. They could just find a public place like, to do their unless broadcast. Unless the city of Lawrence was like yes. passed an ordinance that was like, hey, we're banning college game day. Well, KU though could because typically what they like to do, they like to do college game day for basketball inside the arena. So they wouldn't so be KU able to do that. KU could prevent them doing, doing that. They wouldn't and be able to do that. And then would they be like, hey, we want to do it, you know, on? But this they could just go to Mass. Like I think, Maybe. I think college game day on Mass property. Street. I think college game day on Mass Street that would be, be kind of really cool. cool, like super cool. Well, what if just like the business, like all the businesses exactly. on Mass are like, exactly. no, you can't set up here. Um, but like, why? I don't know. Why would they do that? It's such a great publicity opportunity. It's petty. It's great. Be for, like, give it to us in football, and we'll money. let you come here whenever you want for basketball. You know, for businesses, it's great. Like, mm-hmm. there's just there's just endless pluses. I want to be petty. You don't want to help us in one way. Why should we help you the other way? But we're we're the, the, like we're not even really helping them, are we? Like, what are uh, we doing to help them? Giving them a show, but they can go get a show anywhere. Anywhere. I just <laughs> you have to you have to have some sort of I really want to moral I, principles here to say. Okay, I'm making a stand. If you don't give us football college game day this year, I really want to playing ball anymore. I really want to like call or email ESPN PR and be like, hey, if you guys say you're going somewhere. Can they tell you no? I just want to ask them. I just, I'm just curious now. I think that they should have given game day this week for KU and said they're going to go to Clemson where they've been a billion times. I get it. Clemson-NC State's top 10 game. 
and I get it. Iowa State lost to Baylor, and so you don't have two top 25 teams, and Kansas is just not ranked. But you went to Appalachian State against Troy. You can go to Kansas-Iowa State. That's Derek's Deep Deliberations. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We've got some Jalen Daniels audio to get to you that next.